Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God and its relationship with you and the relationship with the world and the relationship with the truth that we find uh, recorded in the Bible. Now, the Bible we read today, I mean, there's lots of different versions of the Bible. It's amazing how different they are. You have a living Bible and the NIV and the King James Bible. And the King James Bible was put together by, you know, maybe a dozen or more scholars. Uh, I think there was about eight that were specifically ascribed by the king to uh, translate the Bible. And uh, mostly what they were doing, they, they did reference a lot of different Greek texts. They didn't have as many as we have today. Um, and all the Greek texts aren't in total agreement either. But uh, they looked at a lot of other attempts by a lot of other people to translate the Bible into English. And then they they came up with the King James Bible, which, considering, and, and this is even a statement by one of the translators, considering all the uh, input and the conditions under which they worked, whatever that means... <laughs> You have to consider the fact that uh, the previous uh, uh, Henry VIII had uh, uh, wanted Tyndale to translate the Bible and then eventually wanted Tyndale's tongue cut out and burned at the stake <laughs> for his efforts. I mean, uh, they were by, the, the money to do the, the secondary work of Tyndale was mostly because uh, officials of the Church of England bought up all of his translations so that nobody would read them and burned them. <laughs> but the money they used to buy them up uh, was used to finance the, the next translation. What was what were people so worried about in translating the Bible into English and then sharing the Bible with other people? Uh, because, you know, what what were... What was the information that was in the Bible that people did not want you to have? And then what was their secondary plan to keep you from finding out what it was that they didn't want you to have? Because they didn't give up just because, you know, Gutenberg invented the printing press. I mean, they, you know, one of Gutenberg's partners was, I think he was burned at the stake. He was certainly executed for... Uh, for printing these Bibles. They they said this had to be a demonic uh, thing that they had put produced so many of these Bibles. <laughs> so uh, so what, what was going on uh, and what did they fear you understanding or finding out that threatened them so much that they would actually kill people, torture people who tried to provide a translation of the Bible so that you, the common man, could read it. And uh, and then the secondary thing is, what have they done besides burning people at the stake to keep you from understanding it? And the reality is that if you read the Bible, uh, probably especially the Old Testament, King James or any other version, you're probably not going to understand what was really going on. Because the Old Testament 
they they played fast and loose with that. You know, before you know, the Septuagint was seventy government paid scholars translating the Bible. And even though we know that Christ seemed to be quoting some of the the writings that were in the Septuagint, there's no reason to believe that the Septuagint was not produced by some bias as well. So what is it that we are really supposed to be finding out? What are we supposed to be really understanding? What are we supposed to be really getting from the Bible? The Bible is a testament. It's a witness translations are translations of a testament or witness. And people wrote these things down and passed them down from generation to generation to try to give you a hint, a guidelines, a clues, so to speak, as to what Christ was really teaching. But what Christ says, according to what we read in the Bible, is that... Uh, that we're, we're, we're not going to know the truth by reading the Bible. We're not going to know the truth by studying ancient scripts. We're not going to know the truth because uh, we're really, really smart and we figure things out. We're going to know the truth because of revelation. You know, when he says in Matthew sixteen seventeen. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, a small rock, and upon this Peter, this rock, this because he had this revelation of God, this that's the rock. It's not the guy. It's it's that revelation. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So now, what are the gates of hell? Is that the gates that keep you in? <laughs> and if you came out of the gates of hell, where would you be? The devil, according to the Bible, was cast down, and or at least cast out of this realm of heaven. So are the gates of hell the gates of heaven? Anywhere that you're not in heaven, you're actually in hell or subject to the, the jurisdiction of hell to some degree because you're not completely subject to the jurisdiction of heaven. So we have these two realms referenced, and we talk about that a lot of times. What are these realms? We have all kinds of images in our mind because of theologians and and poets and uh, and uh, eschatologies. Uh, what is hell and what is heaven? And so there's actually creating all kinds of philosophies and theologies about nihilism or ananihilism and universalism and Christian universalism and uh Eternal consciousness torment. They call it ECT. And you can, you can study all those things too, but these are all opinions of men about what reality is. About the reality of the universe created by God, which includes heaven, hell, where we're at, whatever. Everything. The, the, the entire universal scope of creation. 
And so we have opinions about that. Well, I have an opinion. You have an opinion. The authors of the Bible have an opinion. The uh, translators of the Bible have an opinion. But by definition, God's opinion is reality. So our opinion has to eventually conform to God's opinion. And if we have an opinion that is contrary to God's opinion, that would almost be blasphemous. That opinion would be blasphemous. It would be contrary to God's opinion. And so, anyway, we're going to look at blasphemy today. And uh, in order to look at that, we need to clear our minds of our opinions in quest of God's opinion. We want to know what God's opinion is. Can I tell you what God's opinion? I could talk about God's opinion or my opinion of what God's opinion is. But I can't really give you God's opinion. You have to get God's opinion from God because all I can do is talk to you in language. And language is is very finite. It's not it's not all-encompassing. It's not um it's not precise enough to give you God's opinion. To get God's opinion, you have to get it directly from God. And of course, the Bible talks about that all the time. Revelation. Writing upon your hearts and upon your minds. God writing upon your hearts and your minds. If I talk to you, that's me writing upon your hearts and minds. But when God talks to you, that's Him And the idea of writing upon your heart and your mind is not just speaking to you. It's actually engraving in your heart and your mind the opinion of God. So that God's opinion is actually recorded in your very being, in your heart and in your mind. That's really where you want to be. That's really where you want to go. But you can't get there by eating from the tree of knowledge. You can only get there by eating of the tree of life. And you're barred from eating of the tree of life. Not because God won't offer you that. But because you have to, in order to get close to the tree of life, you have to see yourself as you really are. And most of you do not want to see yourself as you really are. You you will submerge part of your being in the truth. You will accept this truth and that truth and this truth and this truth and that truth. But you won't accept the whole truth. Because in order to accept the whole truth, you have to see yourself as you really are. And you don't really want to do that. Now, why that is that my opinion? Well, that seems to be evident. By the fact that you're not walking on water. <laughs> that you're, that you, you don't really have dominion. That you have anxiety. That you have doubts. That you, so you're not fully immersed. You are not perfected in God's opinion. In God's way. In God's life. And so you're still in that process. Now, I'm not talking about whether you're saved or not saved and whether you accepted Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior. If you really did that, you would be keeping His commandments all the time. And that's what they're telling you. They're 
They're not saying that you get to sin now because you've accepted Jesus and you're already forgiven for all the sins you commit. It says, if you love me, if you really love Christ all the way, perfected in that love for Christ, you won't sin anymore. Paul makes it clear that he was still in that process. And he was healing people. You know, a lot of people believe by miracles. Well, that's very dangerous because there's no reason to believe that Satan cannot perform miracles. The adversary, whoever Satan is. You know, when I say the word Satan, people are going to conjure up what their opinion of Satan is. And he, he, whatever he is, your opinion doesn't change that. It just changes the way you think of him. The same as your opinion of God does not change God. It just changes the way in which you look at God. Your opinion about the Bible and what it says. And the opinion about the translators uh, about the Bible. These are all just opinions. God's opinion is the reality. That's what you want to have. That's what you want written in your heart and written in your mind. How do you get that? Somebody asked, uh, you know, that he said he became a universalist. Uh, believes in universalism, which is a theological and philosophical concept that some uh, uh, some ideas of universal application and applicability are true. You know, it's kind of a community of people who believe that eventually everybody will be saved because of God's infinite mercy. But what... What you know, it's that's kind of almost the, what you see now in the, the modern millennialists and leftists and everything that uh, they believe that you know that uh, you know we all win. <laughs> There's no trophy. You know, we all have this right to uh, uh, this equal opportunity outcome. We all have an equal opportunity to pursue the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And we are told by the Bible over and over again by the prophets to pursue that, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it says, if we do that, everything else will be provided. The prodigal son has to try to go home to be a servant in his father's house or his father's not coming out to meet him halfway and help him the rest of the way. And kill the fatty calf. He's he's got to make that choice. It is a choice. If you never make that choice, what happens? Do you go to hell? That's the other thing. Uh, and nihilism, you know, believes in extinctionism or destruction. That you know, this is what some people interpret as the lake of fire. That eventually, and, and Jesus says there is a fire that does consume. That if you will not turn (laughs) to the light side, you will be consumed by the dark side. And in the dark side, you must consume others. That That's another philosophy. And you can argue about this and debate about this and divide yourselves over these things so that there's either eternal consciousness torment or eventually you will be consumed in that torment and no longer exist at all. Or you have universalism where everybody eventually is saved. Well, everybody can eventually be saved if they accept 
the opinion of God as truth and live by that opinion, put it into action, or willing to put it into action. You know, turn around and head back to your father's house to be a servant of action. But if you never choose, then, yeah, maybe you're eventually consumed. And if you, and your life is the life of torment because you're trying to live it without God. And you will be subject to the whims of the world, the flesh, and the devil. If ultimately you're going to make the choice to be accepted, to accept the opinion of God, then really you don't have that choice. You know, ultimately you're going to give in. He's going to make you give in. He's created a universe where you don't really have a choice. You can just prolong the choice or whatever, but eventually you no, you have the choice. I don't. That's what makes sense. That's what the universalist sometimes doesn't realize that you do have the choice. And evidently, Christ said, "There is a fire that does consume." So maybe it does consume your identity and your. But these are, you know, I'm just projecting my opinion in this, and it really doesn't matter. The problem with asking this question, what you believe in, universalism, annihilism, you know, you know, which universalism believes that all religions will eventually come together. Well, what's a religion? Religion, is it your opinion about God? It, that, that's what they define religion as today, and we've talked about that. You see how, how why it's important, why I brought that up to begin with years ago, is that Religion was never originally your opinion about God. Religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. How you expressed the mercy and compassion of God. How God's opinion flowed through you in your actions. That's religion. It's not your opinion. The fact is, is your opinion is... When you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you have an opinion of your own, it's not the opinion of God. <laughs> See, you're eating of the, all these questions about universalism and, and eternal consciousness and, you know, religion and all this stuff. It's all eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is what got you into trouble to begin with. Any religion that consists of your opinion about God is eating of that tree. Religion is you returning to your father's house to serve in your father's house. That's religion. It has to be really your, not your opinion of the father's house, but the real separate identity of the father. You have to accept his opinion and act according to his opinion. Not accept my theories about the Bible, my your or, or Joe Schmo's theories about the Bible, or the Pope's theories about the Bible or religion or God, it's actually accepting God. Now, how how do we distinguish that? Well, life will <laughs> distinguish and extinguish the uh, doubt concerning this. So you that's. That's your mission, to seek the kingdom of God, the opinion of God and his righteousness. 
You can't go out and obtain that opinion through flesh and blood. You cannot save yourself. This is where that philosophy... People have all these ideas about religion, you know, that oh, you have to be saved by God through Christ or you're not saved. Your works will not save you. Your flesh and blood will not save you. Your opinion will not save you either. <laughs> so, you have to accept the opinion of God. Now, we have biblical text, ancient script, common sense to tell you if he's still committing adultery, if he's still uh, murdering people, if he is still uh, angry, uh, and judgmental and uh, abusive and stealing and covetous, then I don't think the opinion of God is what is living in him. I don't think God is writing upon his heart. I think, I think he's still off on his own deal. And that's that's why you shall know them by their works, by what they're doing. Because if they really accept the opinion of God, they're going to be doing some things a certain way. It's going to be hard to upset them, hard to make them angry. They're not going to be stealing and and murdering and committing fornication and and uh, lying. And they're also going to be receiving revelation about things. They're going to see things that other people don't see. Because some things you only see by revelation. But you don't need to know all that about anybody else. You know, people say, well, you think they're saved. Now, actually, I know somebody uh, who recently died, disappeared. People were looking all over for him. And now they're going to have a funeral, I think, this weekend. And um, somebody's going to talk at the funeral. And they had written out what... They wanted to have, you know, family wanted to have said about the father. And uh, the minister, who happened to be a relative of the father, did not want to say that he believed that he was in heaven. Like, his opinion matters. <laughs> Whether he's in heaven or not. Because he believes that he hadn't really accepted Christ or he had denounced Christ. And the guy was a very religious man. He was a very driven man. He was a very hardworking man. He was also a very angry man at times and sometimes abusive. But who gives anybody the right to decide if he's in heaven or not? Because the circumstances of his death, he died alone. The circumstances of his death were bizarre, kind of peculiar. And uh, so we don't know. And no minister, no man should be virtue, uh, you know, venturing an opinion about where he's at. And we'll tell you why when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Anyway, this this individual I know known him for years and years and years. I known his family. Uh, some of my family even lived with their family for a while. 
he was a hard working guy. He's been here and uh that no one can doubt that that he wasn't a hard working guy. <laughs> he was and he taught all his children how to work hard. But as we all come from different backgrounds and he came from a different cultural background and he struggled with a lot of things and uh, mostly this struggle has to do with the trauma of his own upbringing and that he brought into his present life into his future. He brought his he dragged his past into his future along with that cultural baggage, uh, the traumas of his own life, the abuses of his own life, you know, when he was growing up. And and those just came from the generation before. You know, the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. Well, the kingdom of hell then is from generation to generation. The sins of the father are visited upon the sons and seven sons. It visited. You're not condemned to it, but you're going to have in your life, your father's problems, unless you're willing to come to the light and see those problems. See where those problems are coming from. See your sin. You, and what is your sin? You have an opinion about what's right or wrong. You have an opinion about what is good and what is evil. And your opinion trumps God's opinion. Because if your opinion did not trump God's opinion, you would not be eating of the tree of knowledge. So, you know, some of his children are going to think they know better than their father. And they're not going to forgive their father for his baggage, for him dragging his anger, his trauma into their lives. He, he, he struggled with that, dragging that back and forth, you know, that trauma of his own, the, the abuses that were abused in him as he grew up, he brought to his family and 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 cursed his family with those because he hadn't dealt with them. But everybody does that. His parents did that. His grandparents did that. His great-grandparents did that. His children do that. And his children's children will do that until they repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, until they willingly open up their hearts and see what's gotten in there, gotten into their hearts, the trauma that has gotten into their hearts. And it, it may be different with each of the children. Although I'm sure that some of them are the same because his traumas were the same. They have to look at that in their hearts and in their minds, and see that, and clean the slate. How do you clean the slate? Forgive. You have to forgive him. Every abuse that he might have done during a long life, you have to forgive. The abuses of your brothers and sisters that came upon you, you have to forgive. The abuses of other people that you've met in your life, and and, and hurt you, you have to forgive. This is cleaning the slate. When you forgive and give judgment back to God, allow God's opinion to judge that person, not you, but God. Decide what was good and what was evil and accept what happened to you with forgiveness and love. Love your enemy, love your neighbor, love your father, love your mother, love your brother, love your sister. And leave judgment to God. Until you do that, you will not have a clean slate that God can write on. If you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. 
So no matter what father you get, you have to forgive him. No matter what mother you get, you have to forgive her. No matter what brother or sisters you get, what friends and acquaintances and employers you get, you have to forgive. In order to clean the slate so that God's opinion can come into you and dwell in you. And that we refer to that opinion, that God's opinion, as the Holy Spirit. As his holy, his separate, his unique spirit, the spirit of the God of creation has to dwell in you. If you do not forgive, he's not coming in. If you do not forgive, neither will my father forgive you. He cannot come in. You, you have created the gates of hell. And you have shut them because you will not take on the humility of forgiveness. This is really critical for everybody to grasp in their hearts and in their minds and to struggle and live with, to see this sin. You know, I was talked a little bit in the last shows about uh, the Messianic Jews. People, The young people who were Messianic Jews are leaving that religious philosophy in droves. They don't stay with it. They... They uh, slowly but surely, little things came out uh, in these congregations of Messianic Jews, and they battled over pronunciation, head covering, skirts, pants, equinox, calendars, aviv, barley, uh, pastors or no pastors, and they they divided one another because they were not into love their neighbor as themselves, uh, but they were into love my religion, my philosophy, my theology, my eschatology. And it divided them. And then when you were divided, there was shunning and belittling and putting people down because it was all about pride. He was a Messianic Jew for a while. He was a Seventh-day Adventist for a while. He was trying different things. But he was also a very intelligent man. Very bright man. Very hard-working and studious man. And, you know, he was struggling, trying to find out what the solution was, what the answer was. And uh, it was difficult, driving him crazy. As, you know, without God, we're all crazy. We're all insane. But anyway, I said the unusual uh, uh, circumstances of his death is he, he... in the middle of the night, he got up and he walked away and he wandered off from the home and they didn't find him for days and they found him finally sitting on the grass out in the middle of nowhere, just sat down and he died under the stars. And uh, what what was going through his mind? What was going through his heart? You know, when we face death, Everything is being stripped away. You know, and we could see that in his life. Things were being stripped away in his life. His intellect, uh, you know, he's having some uh, Alzheimer kind of uh, events in his life. And he was getting torn back down. And what, what happened, you know, I, I've said this, people don't like this, is, is that, you know, we come into the world uh, with no hair, no teeth, and... Uh, unable to control our bladder, and uh, we go out pretty much the same way. Uh, 
the reality is is we also what what I'm saying is that we go back we're stripped back to that essential spiritual reality in this human body all those things the strength the power the the riches the wealth uh whether they be uh knowledge or money are all stripped away and the strength of our arms and our hands and our feet, they're all stripped away. And we have to deal with just us. And, you know, in that moment of forgiveness or acceptance, we may receive the opinion of God. Now, it would be great if we could receive the opinion of God while we still have our strength and our youth and our and our minds and our wealth and that we could take all those gifts that God has given us and turn them to the service of God. That would be good. But it often isn't that way. Sometimes God has to strip everything away before we finally get back to the essentials. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what he did. And I don't know what you're going to do. But if you're not seeking the king, I had a call the other day from somebody who uh, was a part of our network. And now he's kind of moved away. He has a real difficulty getting along with other people. And you could hear it in the in his conversation that, uh, uh, you know, talking about, you know, I was, I'm trying to get a part for a piece of equipment. And, uh, I called the guys again, and they didn't have the answer, and guys were out were uh, sick, and they're all alone and won't know till Monday. And he referred to this as the runaround. I just figured it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> I had other things that I could go do, and I went and did. I didn't get my part, and I'll just have to wait till Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. It's not that important. I filled my day with Accomplishing things, doing things, fixing things, preparing for this program on blasphemy. I didn't sit around thinking, oh, they are giving me, they are doing this, they are doing that. No, I just went out and took the day and the moment that God had given me and went out and did the best I could with what I was given to serve God. Even when I irrigate in the field, I do it to serve God. You know, by serving God's creation, which may be dry grass. And I'm on this show today trying to serve dry bones. That's what we are. We're dry bones. All these religions out there, they got their religion. They got their opinion. These guys got their opinion. Seventh-day Adventists got their opinion. Messianic Jews got their opinion. Catholics got their opinion. Baptists got their opinion. Everybody's got their opinion. But if they were really receiving the opinion of God in their hearts and minds, they would see the world much differently. They wouldn't be dividing one another. You know, just the guy who put out the survey, are you a universalist or a nihilist? Or, you know, he wants to know. That That's a separation thing. I don't want to know what you know. I want you to know what God knows. And so I'm going to talk to you about what God knows. So what's the one sin that you can't be forgiven? (laughs) Okay. Well, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you can blaspheme him. 
But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you can't be forgiven. Now, we think, we, we always think dimensionally in time that you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, then this mark goes down and you'll never be forgiven. You're condemned to hell forever. No, you, every moment is a new universe. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit in this universe, <laughs> in this moment, in this moment, you cannot be forgiven. In the next moment, you repent of that and stop blaspheming the Holy Spirit and receive the Holy Spirit. In that moment, you can be forgiven. You know, you, you, you're thinking, well, I could say 10-dimensionally, <laughs> or 11-dimensionally, because they say there's multiple dimensions, and that's what we talked about, heaven and hell, being other dimensions. This is physicists talking. But there's another dimension, time. Well, see, in time, forever is that moment. And the next moment is the next forever. <laughs> and the next forever. Because time is relative. So anyway, well, we won't get too heady there. Let's, let's look at a definition of the word blaspheme. If you, if you were to look it up, Google it, you'd probably see something like, speak irreverently about God or sacred things. That's blaspheme. Blaspheming. But you go to a little bit older dictionary, like a law dictionary. And like Bovier's Law Dictionary. The word blaspheme is to attribute to God that which is contrary to his nature and does not belong to him and to deny what does belong to him. Uh, another way of saying that is a false reflection uttered with a malicious design of reviling God. Wow. Reviling God. So, what is this reviling God? Well, we'll look at that later. In 1916, uh, William Mack and William Benjamin, they, they wrote a, a work on um, dealing with uh, biblical terms and uh, the Corpus Juris uh, being a complete and systematic statement of the whole body of the law as embodied in and developed by all reported decisions, volume 8. <laughs> and that was, that was uh, you know, published by them. But etymologically, uh, this word blaspheme is to speak ill or evil of. Something sacred, God, whatever. So, blaspheming usually has to do with an utterance, putting something, speaking out. But it has to be by this maliciousness to blaspheme against the Almighty by denying His being or His providence. So, you know, is the kingdom of heaven at hand? Is it for the living? Is it now? Uh, is it in present time? Is it something we're supposed to be seeking? Well, according to the Bible, it is. According to what Christ actually said, the doctrines actually recorded down in the Bible that Christ actually said. But today, we have a whole philosophy, and we talked about this in the last couple of weeks. We have a whole recording up available now and an article up available now uh, on cosmos, the word cosmos. So we've had articles for years now on this, that word cosmos is translated into world. 
And they say, well, no, his kingdom's not here. It's postponed. You know, it's for after when you die. It's where you go when you go to heaven. That's your home. It's heaven, not here. And that's all contrary to what it says in the Bible. It's contrary to what Christ was saying. When he said, my kingdom's not of this world, he didn't say planet. He said cosmos. And cosmos clearly means, and I gave all kinds of more evidence, it, it has to do with courts. It has to do with judges. And who's he saying it to? He's saying it to somebody about to sit in the judgment seat, Pontius Pilate. And he's saying, my kingdom's not of your cosmos, of your judgment seat. You don't have no jurisdiction. Very clearly. Anybody who studies, you know, history and Greek knows that's what he was saying and why he was saying. He didn't say it's not on this planet. He's been saying all the time. And he said later, and he appointed that kingdom. He took a kingdom away that existed. He appointed it to his apostles, and they were that kingdom. And they took on the role of the early Levites in providing a daily ministration to the people through faith, hope, and charity, which is the whole, the whole theme of the Bible, from Nimrod to Cain to Abel to, you know, you're either doing it like a good shepherd or you're... You're doing it by force. Well, all the modern Christians, they take care of one another by force now. Oh, they have a little token charity in their churches. But most of the charity, most of the care for their widows and orphans is done through men who exercise authority one over the other. Through men who call themselves benefactors, but they only give you what they took away from others. Jesus said it was not to be that way with you, but the modern churches say it is okay to be that way with you. It's okay that you covet your neighbor's goods. Covet your children and grandchildren's goods because they're borrowing money to provide you with those benefits. All contrary to Christ, and they don't see it. You can tell them, you can explain it, you can show them the law, and they don't see it. Why? Because God is not in them. Their emotions are in them. Their philosophies are in them. They think they're safe. They think they're following Jesus. They, if Jesus came, they say, look at all these great, we had these altar calls, we have thousands of people that have accepted Jesus. They don't do what he says. They're actually workers of iniquity. They're actually blaspheming the ways of Christ all the time. Because they're, they're doing something contrary to what he taught. They're saying it's okay to pray to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other to get your daily bread, your daily ministration. It's okay to do that as long as you imagine in your head that you've accepted Jesus. That's blasphemy. And they're blaspheming Jesus. But you know, Jesus said you could blaspheme him. But what you can't do is blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take a look. And it's going to take a while to get to that. First, we're going to go way back to the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the the words in the Old Testament that are translated blasphemy or blasphemous, some form of blasphemy. And one of those words is Barack, you know, like in Barack Obama. That's and there's a whole there's all kinds of videos out that are pointing that out that Barack's name means blasphemy. Well, what does that name mean actually in the Hebrew language? <laughs> does does it mean 
doesn't mean blasphemy. It is translated blasphemy in the Bible. But only twice. Only twice is it translated blasphemy. Over 300 times it's translated bless <laughs> or salute. A couple of times it's translated curse. So what does it mean? How can they have the same word translated blasphemy as they have translated bless? And they say the definition of it is to bless or kneel. So what is it? What 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 does that word Barak actually mean? Well, we'll give you some hints why this has come about. And and one is is the the word the root word is biet resh kof. That's the letters that are in the word. And those letters have particular meaning. Biet usually has to do with a house, uh, our household or family kind of idea. You know what the what the prodigal son was returning to his father's house, his father's biat. In a household, you usually have authority, and resh means authority. And then kof has a meaning too. But the word is not always just biat resh kof. And this is one of the things that, you know, this is why you should all learn to read Hebrew. But no, you don't have to learn to he- read Hebrew. What you need is revelation. Because Revelation will say, hey, there's something missing here. And what's missing is the word, the letter, Toth. Because you also, like in 1 Kings uh, 21.10, it says, And set two men, sons of Belial, before him, and bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. Where that word is translated blaspheme, be it resh kof has another letter, a tov at the end. Tov is a letter that usually has to do with the concept of faith. Faith in God, faith in the king. Be it resh kof, tov, is translated blaspheme. And, uh, and, and we actually, uh, but we actually see this word later on in 1 Kings 21.13 where they talk about Nebuth did blaspheme God and the king. But there, there is no top. It's just uh, be it resh kaf. So, this, so, what is it? What is it supposed to mean? And this is one of the things that you, you, even if you knew what all the letters in the Hebrew meant, and you learned all the, the Bible in the original Hebrew, you still need this other ingredient of God writing upon your hearts and mind. Because if you learned all those things and you read the Bible, then it's flesh and blood trying to impart to you the truth. And that's not really what it's all about. The Beit Resh Kaf Tav we also see in uh, Numbers 23.11 where it says, Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse, and they actually use the word curse there, which is Eliphresh, Chet, Yod, mine enemies. And behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. And that's the Beit Resh Kav Tav again. So, the word is translated blessed, it's translated blaspheme. What is it? What are these words supposed to mean? 
And we're going to take a look at that so that you understand blasphemy by the time we're done. Next on the Keys of the Kingdom. Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're uh, looking at this word blaspheme, which is sometimes translated revile, at least in the New Testament. And revile means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. Uh, now, that doesn't really fit exactly with the definition of blaspheme, at least in Bovier's Law Dictionary. But uh, it is a... Um, a similar concept. If you're if you're doing this in a, a criticizing an angrily and kind of judgmental sort of way, that that's pretty much evidence that you're blaspheming in your spirit. You know, saying something contrary to the God or King, because you can blaspheme the King. Evidently, what we were reading there in Numbers. Uh, what is it exactly that? Uh, this word means, and I just give you a little bit more insight. I, we haven't really come to the word in the Hebrew that is probably closest to meaning blaspheme because this word barak, even though it's translated blaspheme twice, or at least twice, it really means bless. But bless in what sense? Because, I mean, 300 times bless, a couple times blaspheme, a couple times curse, well, that doesn't really add up to the meaning blaspheme. But in Psalms, 134.2, I, I saw uh, in the Hebrew text that the same word, Barak, appears with two additional letters. One at the beginning, one at the end. And the letter is the Vav. And Vav is a connecting word and a division word. So, if it's a division word, it's like a gate, right? And you got a Vav at one end and a Vav at the other end. That's kind of like a gate, a double gate. That's why you always imagine the kingdom of God. It's not a single hinge gate. It's a double gate. <laughs> I don't know why we always think of it that way. But I, I suppose it is. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the, we have a kind of a, uh, an imagination that is used to look at spiritual things. But anyway, in Psalms 134.2, it says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. And the word bless there is that vav, be it resh, kaf, vav. And I think that's one of the only places that you can find that particular combination. But they're telling you that uh, this... Uh, uh, Blessing is separate. That it is separate yet connected. It's it's a and it's done by your hands, actually, in operation. In the sanctuary and blessing. So this is what you should do, no matter where you are, because the sanctuary is not a location, it's not a geographic, it's not a building of stone or any of those things. It's where you're at when you're letting God write upon your heart and upon your mind. Now, if you look at those word those letters in the word this base root word barak biet uh, is usually means the purpose of god 
the dwelling place alone from the house of God or God's house. So that's that's basically what the beat is has to do with the house of God. Resh is the process of clarification. It's it's making God the head. If it's resh, if it's making men the head, then you're making. Usually you see resh resh, where uh, you see a double resh, you know, because it's men ruling you as if they were God. But here you see beat resh, and then kaf is equated with the concept of crown, the actualizing the potential power from a spiritual to a physical realm. And, and of course, there in that Psalms 134.2, we see that you lift up your hands with what? The Spirit of God, uh, according to the ways of the house of God. <laughs> and you, you bless with action. And see, that's why the cough is there. So this blessing always has the, the cough in it. It always has the clarification of God as the head. No other heads but God. And be it always of the house of God, of the character of God, of the way of God. And the vavav is making it singularly that house of God. Nothing else added on either side. So that's the concept. You, you, when you read Hebrew, you have to be thinking concepts, not in words. And then one of the reasons why I see a lot of the things that I see is I don't really think in words, which makes me a very poor speller, very, very dyslexic, because I, I don't, I'm not following the letters, I'm following the concepts. So that gives me an advantage, but it also gives me a disadvantage. But ultimately, it isn't. It isn't the workings of my mind. It's either I am receiving the revelations of God or I am not. And that's where you have to go. Because you don't want to follow me. You want to follow God. You want to receive the revelations of God. In order to receive the revelations of God, you have to put aside your own opinion of what is good and evil. Your own philosophy. Your own religion. When you use the word religion as an opinion about God. You have to set those things aside. In order to set those things aside, you have to kind of strip down. Because we put those things on to protect us and cover us. You're not going to learn to swim in the kingdom of God or walk on water if you're depending on your life vest or your float (laughs) devices, which give you support, emotional support in this world that is drowning without God. So anyway... That word, Barak, really isn't the word for blaspheme, although it's translated blaspheme. The, probably the closest word for blaspheme in the Old Testament is uh, gadaf. Uh, gimel uh, delet uh, pi. Now, that word also has other letters that they add on to it. They'll put a mem in front of it. And a mem is that letter that stands for flowing. You'll also see it. I give a bunch of examples on our page on blaspheme. You know, there's Vav Gimel Delet Pi Tav and Vav Mem Gimel Delet Pi. All these words are translated into blaspheme, but they all really mean something a little different. When you put a Vav and a Tav on the front and the end of a word, you're changing it. If you just put a Vav at the end of the word, that's different than a Vav at the beginning of the word. And they have all these things. And then they're just translating blaspheme. But they're trying to tell you something different. And what they're, theoretically, if the Bible was inspired, they're trying to tell you 
something about the inspiration of God. And they're putting that in there. But you're not reading it in Hebrew. You're reading it in English so something is already lost in translation. But no sweat. Not a problem. Because you're supposed to be operating through revelation. You're supposed to be letting God write upon your heart and your mind. If you think, oh my gosh, I'm not going to know this unless I you know, can learn Hebrew. No. You don't need to learn Hebrew. Now, yeah, okay, I tell you some of these Hebrew things and I could go through each of these and you can go through them yourself. But if you go through it trying to get the knowledge of God through flesh and blood study, you're going to miss it. It's revelation. Well, how do you get revelation? Well, you have to empty out your own vanity, your own pride, your own arrogance. You have. To, and how do you do that? How do you practice that? By becoming a servant. By casting your bread upon the waters. By sacrifice. That's how you will get closer to God. That's what draws you near to God and His revelation. Yet forever studying and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Did you ever hear that before? It's written there. (laughs) You know, put it together. Write it down. So, I mean, we have these other words. uh, Nakab, which is nun kuf biet. Uh, Nun, again, has to do with throne, usually. Uh, It actually is incorporated with the idea of the mem, which is the flowing. uh, The fish flowing. Nun has to do with fish. Uh, but the throne has to do with fish. Well, there's, these are concepts. I can't give them all to you without dragging. The, I can't give them all to you if we drag this program out for four hours or ten hours. Because it has to be written on your heart. These are these are breadcrumbs of the trail. The reason I'm showing you the nun, the kuf, the biet of this word nakab is to show you that what you think these words mean doesn't you you will only really understand it when you let God write upon your heart and your mind. Pride keeps you from seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He told the people they must sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds. He told his apostles to make them do this, and then I will give them the bread and the fish. They will come to them. If they were to do this. Now these people had already. Gone out into the wilderness. Following after Christ. So they had already made some choices. Now he's giving them another hurdle. To learn to sit down together. In a network of people. In company upon company. In ranks of 50. and ranks of 100. They had to organize themselves. And it's. It, try to make cats do that. <laughs> The children of God will do that automatically. But if you're not the children of God, you just imagine in your opinion that you're a child of God. Well, then you're going to think, well, I don't need to do that. I already believe. I already have faith. I am already saved by my opinion of me and God. (laughs) It's not not the way it works. But anyway, uh, you can all look at our page on uh, that and study that. We... We're going to take a look at the New Testament because I want to read you a few quotes out of the New Testament. There's basically one word in the Greek that we see translated into uh, this uh, idea of blaspheme. And that's blasphemio as a verb and uh, 
blasphemia as a noun, and this is the way the Greek is constructed. It, the letters don't mean anything. It's it's a word, uh, blasphemos, as an adjective. So, you you know, you're dealing with an adjective by the ending of the word or the noun by the ending of the word, etc. So, when you when you look at these these uh, Greek words, whether it's a verb or, or or what have you, you're you're seeing the the formation of this idea to speak reproachably, to rail at, to revile, to blaspheme somebody, and these are the definitions that they add with these words, either as an adjective or a noun as a verb. And it comes from uh, two different words, blato and feme. Feme actually is usually means fame, uh, translated fame. It can mean fame, but it actually is report. You know, it's what you, you know, how that person is known. It's the report of that person. And, you know, Peter says, look out amongst yourself and find men of good report. Well, you know, most of the people we hear about in the news today are like Hollywood stars. And usually it's not a good report. <laughs> it's a bad report. But uh, the other word, blapto, has to do with harm or injury. So it's uh, giving a report that is injurious. So if you were preaching a gospel that's not true, not complete, you're blaspheming. So and, and you can see all the different places. We have them all recorded and we, we write about some of them and we try to put them in context when the context really is important. But you can, you can go and, and look at that on the page and go through that, you know, like Matthew 9, 3. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, they didn't say out loud, this man blasphemeth. And they're accusing Jesus and and, the, and John the Baptist, too, of blaspheming because they're saying something contrary to what their opinion about Moses and God is. So they call that blaspheming. Uh, then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, uh, now ye have heard his blasphemy. And this, of course, is because Jesus had said, uh, he, at first in the trial, he held his peace. He didn't say anything. But then the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the anointed, the Son of God, the highest Son of God, which is what the people were claiming. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, and he's taking, speaking to Caiaphas, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And so he's actually telling Caiaphas that. And if you listen to our recordings on Caiaphas and everything, I believe that Caiaphas, who was literally blaspheming Christ, by claiming that Christ was blaspheming God, <laughs> eventually repented. And the reason he was able to repent is he stopped blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And Jesus even makes a point out of the fact that uh, you could blaspheme him, but you could not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And he was adamant about that idea of you blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But anyway, I give you all the examples uh, that we see where this word is, appears as a noun, 
uh, where, like in in Second Peter two eleven, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. That word railing accusations is the blasphemos, which is uh, uh, is what they normally translate blasphemous or blasphemer. And but they in that one case they refer to it as railing accusations. They choose that. Yet it's the same word. It's not there isn't a letter at the beginning or a letter at the end that is altering the word like you see in Hebrew. It's actually the same word and they just translate it railing accusation. But anyway, so all this we're we're looking at and uh so I'm gonna take you to a little bit of the conclusion now and we can come back and look at some of these other things just so that we get this idea complete as to what is blaspheming and what blaspheming is really bad and what is blaspheming is not really bad and this is going to you're going to have to look at language a lot different in order to really grasp what I'm saying so everybody should calm their minds down (laughs) and not get all excited and and see if we can get through this where you can actually begin to understand that God is not subject to time. Don't be dividing yourself off with universalism and, and nihilism or or this religion or that religious philosophy or dialogue or whatever. You want the opinion of God written upon your heart and your mind. You are not going to decide what is good and evil with your own intellect. People who are religious, whatever the heck that means, studying the Bible, and I have come to the conclusion that we should all be universalists, or we should all be Seventh-day Adventists, or we should all be Jehovah Witnesses, or we should all be, or that we can be any religion. You, These are all your opinions. And this is why it's so important to understand that religion is not, real religion, pure religion, is not your opinion about a supreme being. Real religion, threskia in the Greek, is what you do. And what you do, if it's in conformity with Christ, is that you come together not to say, I got the religion, I got the answer, I got the opinion. What you do is you come together to serve. The prodigal son didn't come back to his father's house to teach his father what he discovered about the truth. He came back to his father's house to serve. Don't come to gather with us so that you can get other people to follow your religion or to follow you or whatever. You, We are just giving you the opportunity of practicing pure religion with other people who claim to be coming to practice pure religion, to to practice the compassion and love of Christ. And, and you come back to your father's house, which is a house of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. You come back to your father's house to serve, to serve in a righteous way that you will strengthen the poor. Now, how you do that is going to be answered by God in your heart and in your mind because that's where the kingdom must start for you because you're going to be in that blessed state where the gates of heaven open to you 
and you can start going in. But to start going in, you must let God in your heart first. To let God in your heart, you have to dump the judgment. Dump the, dump your arrogance. Dump your opinion. And start with a clean slate. You know, forgive so that you may be forgiven and God may enter into you and dwell in you as the temple of the Holy Ghost. And until you do that, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And when you see yourself starting to set aside your vanity, your opinions about religion, your knowledge, which is your wealth, it is hard. Jesus talks about the, the rich man hard to get into the kingdom. The smart man is sometimes harder to get into the kingdom because he already knows. And Jesus talks about that. Those who say, you know, you, I, I tell you nothing because you say you already know. You remain blind because you think you've already got... I mean, is, if that isn't pharisaical, I don't know what is. So are you gathering together to serve others? Well, I don't have much money. What, nobody said anything about money. <laughs> I mean, I don't care if it's a mite, if, if it's a shirt off your back, if it's uh, something you found on the street. Start gathering together to be of service to others. People, I know guys who have a tremendous amount of knowledge in the healthcare industry or the, let's put it, in, in natural health. No, everything they know is probably not right, but they can share it. They could call every week to a congregation of people seeking the kingdom and they have no money to share, but they share some of their knowledge. But they have, in order to do that, they have to sit down in companies of 10 in ranks of 50 and ranks of a hundred in a network so that they can receive the bread of Christ, which is the bread of their neighbors shared. And in that, you will draw closer and closer to the Holy Spirit. So anyway, if we go back to this detailed uh, definition of the word blasphemous that we saw in Bovier's, to attribute to God that which is contrary to his nature and does not belong to him, and deny that which does belong to him, which is the kingdom of God. And the and, and when Jesus appointed to the apostles a kingdom, as my Father has appointed unto me, they became the church, the called out church of Jesus Christ, with the purpose, the beat of Christ, the home of Christ, to serve the people through faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty. And they had already made the people sit down in tens, fifties, and hundreds. And they did the same thing again on Pentecost when the grass was brown. Because <laughs> the grass was green back there at, at the loaves and fishes. But now the grass is brown because we're in the fall. And they made the people sit down. You know, I have seen the grass green in the fall out here in the desert. <laughs> the hills looked like they were alive, uh, like Ireland. They were just rolling green grass hills. And you can do that in the desert occasionally. But anyway, this is, this is where you gotta go. This is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness because you're trying to create a government that operates by faith, hope, and charity. That's righteous. A government that operates by force, fear, and violence. That's unrighteousness. Write it down. <laughs> okay. 
So, it is evidently blasphemous to attribute to God that which is contrary to his nature. And if Jesus is God, according to the Christian theology, Jesus is God, then to attribute to Jesus that which is contrary to his nature is blasphemous to Jesus. So if it is blasphemous to deny an attribute that does belong to God, then it is the same to deny an attribute that does belong to Jesus. So, Jesus' doctrines are, are pretty clear. Jesus says, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. Jesus tells his church, he commands his disciples to make the people sit down in this pattern of Companies upon companies in ranks of 50 and ranks of 100. He commanded that. Only time he commanded people. He commanded that. And yet, the churches, so they have this Greek opinion of getting their little congregation over here that supports me. And I tell them what they want to hear. I, don't, I can't tell them the truth. I can't tell them the attributes of Christ. I can't tell them what Christ actually commanded us to do. Because they might leave me and then I would be unsupported. You, you're going to have to decide whether or not you have faith in God. And, and, or faith in your opinion. You're going to have to, you know, Christ is evidently expressing the opinion of God. Right? So, if it's Christ's opinion, it's probably God's opinion. So, there's a little clue. Ultimately, you know, I mean, that's still subject to interpretation by you, but there's some things that are pretty darn clear and repeated over and over again. So, you know, another part of that definition is a a false reflection uttered with malicious design of reviling God. Malicious design. In other words, trying to lead people away from God and God's ways. And you don't want to do that either. But this maliciousness. See, we've done that. But did we do it maliciously? Because we've done it through ignorance. Because we lack knowledge. Yea, but for the lack of knowledge. So now I'm giving you some knowledge. So now you get to decide if you're going to go the ways of Christ or some other way. And we're going to sum this up when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I was just looking at some of my messages before, uh, during the break to see if uh, I could add anything to this. And and there was one guy who uh, thinks that, uh, doesn't quite understand this idea of revelation, doesn't really understand, because he's still thinking that, you know, he, he uses the phrase that we're not channeling God. And yeah, I don't like the word channeling. I mean, that's but the fact is, is God writing upon our hearts and upon our mind is not just influencing us. 
He is writing upon our hearts and our minds. He is engraving his message. To to write in those days often had to do with actually making a groove in, in clay. And we are clay. Uh, so you get, don't get carried away with the metaphor. But he is actually reorganizing the dendritic connections in our brain. <laughs> but he only does it if we are willing to receive that. Because we still have the choice. See, that's the choice we make. To to receive God or not to receive God. And we we manifest that choice in our arrogance, in our vanity, in our pride, or in our humility, in our service, in our love, and our compassion. I mean, these, if you are arrogant and proud and think you know the answer and you can decide good and evil... You ain't there. You're, God's not gonna, not gonna be able to write on that heart. It's too hard, too opinionated, too selfish. It's, he's, they, I don't care what he says he's accepted. That ain't it. But if you really say, Daddy, Father, in your heart and in your mind, and you really let go of your hate, your judgment, your arrogance, your vanity, your ego, your id, whatever you want to call it, then God can enter in there. But you can't fake it. God is the God of creation. He knows when you're really accepting Him and when you're not. You don't know when you're really accepting Him or not. I mean, if you really accept Him, you'll know. But if you don't really accept Him, you'll think you know. And you'll still have this opinion. It, that, you know, this pastor, he, he says this and his pastor says that and they don't agree with each other, but they both agree with God. No. <laughs> if they agree with God, they will agree with each other. Uh, but there, he's still identifying his opinion about God as his salvation. That's not what it is. I mean, he equates it. He says, we do this every week. For 2,000 years, every Sunday, when the pastor gets up there and tells us what to think about God. But that's not religion. What Religion is what you do the rest of the week. It's how you take care of the needy of society. It isn't what you listen to some pastor sitting up there behind the pulpit. That isn't it. That's not religion. It's certainly not pure religion. That is so full of vanity, and it is such a great temptation. You know, when I first had to get up in pulpits, and it made me sick. It was one thing when I got up there and read the first epistle of St. Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians. But it's another thing when I get up there and people want to hear my opinion. And that, that's a great temptation with that. That you become their leader. The rulers over their mind. You do not want that. That That is not good for you. That is not healthy. You want people to receive the Holy Spirit in their hearts and in their minds. And let God write upon their Everybody. Not just the pastor. Everybody. You know, he just focused on the fact that the church, the pastor, that now, the kingdom of God is in your hearts and in your minds. And if you don't let it in, then he isn't going to write on it and you're not going to be in it and you're not going to receive that revelation. 
And so, if you, if you, if we look at this false reflections uttered with malicious design, there are preachers all the time that are issuing false utterances and reflections upon the Bible that are incorrect. Because they've been deceived, like that man who was carrying his cultural and his family baggage into his today family. He brought with him all the hurt and pain that he had not yet forgiven. And he passed it on to his children, and some of his children are going to pass it on to their children because they can't forgive him. They will drag that that uh, trauma into their own children's lives. They have to forgive him to be free of that and to let God write in their hearts and their minds. So, anyway, but the, is this out of maliciousness or is it just because they have not yet learned to set aside their own vanity? And malicious, well, a malicious, a malevolent, let's put it that way, spirit will manifest itself in their family with impatience and intolerance and unforgiveness and they will pass it on down. So, then this a false reflection uttered with malicious design of reviling Jesus would be blaspheming too. If you were to say Jesus was this and he wasn't, or you were denied that he was this and he was, that he was the king, the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah of a kingdom that was at hand, that he took away from the Pharisees and appointed to the apostles. That's what it was. But what about blaspheming the Holy Spirit? You know, attributing a nature contrary to the nature of the Holy Spirit to the Holy Spirit would be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. By denying or not accepting the true Holy Spirit. Now, this Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And it doesn't come to you because you read a book. You, I mean, I'm, nothing against reading the book, but it comes to you because you've accepted that spirit. And is that spirit a, a spirit of control or isolating your congregation from the rest of the kingdom? Of isolating people from the right to choose so that they look to you rather than look to Christ. You see, because now you're separating them. That's what religion does today, is it separates people from other people. Jehovah Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, whatever group you're in. You're separating the people out, and you're trying to bind them, religiere, bind them to your opinion about God. And then you all have this opinion together and it makes you feel like you're a part of something. It's feelings. It's not actual. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you don't feel like you have to belong to anything. You don't feel like you belong to anything. You're filled. You're satisfied. You're content. But you will be a doer. You will be raising your hands to the Lord. And you will be that temple. You will be doing. 
and you will be doing with a happy, contented heart. I was talking to my granddaughter uh, yesterday, one of my many granddaughters yesterday, <laughs> and I, I said to her, you know, uh, that we all have things that we don't like, and we all have things that we do like. And if your list of things that you don't like is longer than the things that you do like, you're probably not happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> the fact is, I like all kinds of things. Now, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, but I love all the Nicolaitans. I just hate their deeds. <laughs> but I love them. You know, and so, you, you know, put that in your own perspective. So, what is this thing about the Holy Spirit? In Luke 12.10, we see, And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. Now, he's he's using this blaspheme because blaspheming can be speaking this word. But if you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. Matthew 3.11, we see, Indeed, baptize you. I baptize you with water unto repentance. He baptizes them unto repentance. He's washing them unto repentance. So, repentance is essential. Thinking a different way. But, he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay, so he's baptizing them so that they will pursue, seek repentance, changing their minds, thinking a different way. And what way was that? Instead of going to the government for free bread, like Rome was doing, like Herod was doing, they're going to start a network of sharing. If you have extra and somebody else doesn't have enough to get by, you're going to share with them. You're going to do it with, if they have, you have two coats and they have none, you're going to share your coat. You're going to do the same in meats. You're going to do the same in money. You're going to do the same in knowledge and assistance. You're going to be gathering together to share and to serve one another so that no one is abandoned. You don't want to be abandoned by God. Stop abandoning your neighbor. You know, somebody said, well, I take care of, you know, this family member and nobody else does that. Well, actually, I not only take care of our family members, I take care of other family members <laughs> without pay and live, uh, you know, a poor man's life. And I'm fine with that. I'm happy with that. I'm contented with that. So, yeah, the fact is is that that individual is just rationalizing the fact that they're not gathering together in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands as Jesus commanded his apostles to require them. And if he would just do that, his life would open up and he he wouldn't be at enmity with all of his relatives and friends and neighbors. He would find more and more peace coming into his life and more and more healing. But he resists because he's clinging to his opinion of what is good and evil. And so I'm, I'm encouraging him constantly to 
to repent and think a different way. So anyway, Jesus is going to come after and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. That's what's critical is baptizing with the Holy Ghost. Baptizing with water, I only baptize you with water to repentance. But you need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And in Luke three sixteen we see, And John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, and the latches of whose shoes I am unworthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So there you have it in two Gospels where he's saying the same thing. In Matthew sixteen seventeen which I already read to you once, but Jesus, you know, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood has not revealed the truth of who he was. You know, he didn't read it in the Bible. But the Father actually revealed to Simon who Jesus was. And he, when he was asked, he was able to speak, he was able to speak what he had revealed. Utter what had been revealed. And if that's the Holy Spirit that revealed it, he is now uttering the words of the Holy Spirit. He's not uttering something that he learned, that he memorized, that he studied in the Bible. He, uh, that you know, his opinion. He's actually uttering the opinion of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And that faith to do that, to receive and to act upon what you received, is the rock upon which he shall build his church. His church is called out. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. will not lock them out. He will let people in through that revelation. In Matthew eleven twenty five, we see, And that time Jesus answered and said unto them, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. That word revealed is again the word that we see there. Now that, that word revealed, that that appears a number of times in the Bible. Uh, probably about 26 times. It, it, there's other forms of it, but in this one particular form. And it's always translated revealed. It's not translated a number of different ways. It's reveal. And it means to uncover, lay open that which has been veiled or covered up. See, when when we ate of the tree of knowledge, we could not see the tree of life anymore. We couldn't eat of the tree of life. It was, you know, that, that word in the Greek, it comes from the word out of the veil. What's on the other side of the veil? It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's a spiritual realm in which God walks and will walk with us. And it's it's in that realm from which we will receive revelation. That's where the Holy Spirit is going to come from that realm. So revelation is when that realm is opened up to us and we are connected to it. And we are in the Holy of Holies receiving the messages directly from God. Not figuring it out. 
And and this can reach into every aspect of your life. You don't get it from me. You get it from the Holy Spirit. And how do you get closer to that Spirit? Well, forgive and give. Sacrifice. Serve. According to the leading of that Holy Spirit. So we saw that in 11.25 in Matthew, down in 11.27, just a couple verses later. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So it is the Son and the Spirit of the Son that reveal, because who sent the Holy Spirit? Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to reveal the Father and what the Father wants you to do. It's not an intellectual enterprise. Autistic people, uh, uh, retarded people, people with Alzheimer's, all can receive the peace of the Holy Spirit and and drive out the demons. Yeah, Jesus used that word command a lot of times, but only people the one time where he tells the apostles to make them sit down in these tens, fifties, and hundreds. But he commanded the wind. He commanded evil spirits. He healed. He had control over the elements of the world. And so this this is where you want to get to. You don't get there intellectually. You get there by laying down and stop eating of your intellect. Stop eating of the tree of knowledge. Meditate upon that idea and wait upon the Lord to show you where you need to go. Now, you can fake it in in that realm as well, but you won't get there if you fake it. You have to do it for real. There is no, you cannot cheat on this test of life. Luke 10.21 and and 10.22 and that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, so for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son, by way of the Holy Spirit he sent us, will reveal him. That's where we've got to go. And in order to be forgiven, we must forgive. In order to receive, we must freely give. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. That's where you should receive it too. Not by reading. Find to read. But you know this. You can read all you want. You're not going to get it. You can study all you want. Forever study all you want. You will never come to the knowledge of the truth until you accept the Spirit of God. This is a very humbling place. Because you got to admit, you can't figure it out. 
in order to go to the next level. First Peter one twelve unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. I mean, fallen angels want to know it. True angels want to know it. Everybody wants to know these secrets. But they're only revealed by way of the Holy Ghost. And and in order to receive that Holy Ghost... You're told by Christ what to do over and over again. He didn't say go out and start a congregation, start a church, gather all kinds of people to get them to follow you. He said, you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be given unto you. You know, I'm sure that Hoses had a a church and congregation. He owned property. He had a comfortable life in Cyprus. And he walked away from it. And he sold the property and he gave it all away to the apostles and started living by faith, hope, and charity again. And turned off the ways of the Hasmoneans. The modern church is full of the ways of the Hasmoneans. They're full of the ways of Cain. They're full of the ways of Nimrod. They, they aren't, can you imagine if Christians' only source of social welfare was the church? You wouldn't have all this division you see in the Messianic churches and a lot of other churches. I don't want to pick on them. It's not unique to them. The division is everywhere. Church is splitting. Church is splitting. We have people splitting off because they don't want to live by the flesh and blood of Christ. They want to live by accept my opinion. Love me. Love my opinion. Love the opinion of God. Love the ways of God. Walk in the ways of God. It's, it's, it, and you can do this in any status you have. But if you start doing it, even if you are in bondage up to your ears, they will cast you out. You will become a light in their dark places. And they will not want you there. But, you know, like the blind man who was cast out. He didn't even know what Jesus looked like yet. Jesus, He didn't ask to have his eyes restored. Jesus spit in clay and rubbed it on his eyes and told him to go wash it out. When he washed it out, suddenly he could see and see men standing like trees. Which is what you are. But you're all a tree of knowledge. You're not the tree of life. You need to become the tree of life. In order to do that, you have to let Christ in. In order to do that, you have to let go of your opinions. You are not going to figure this out by flesh and blood. And this is why I try to teach. Go to our meditation page. Study meditation. Seek that understanding of what meditation is, which is waiting upon the Lord, being still and knowing. Now, I want to read 1 John 3.10. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness, is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. We'll see you then. Until then, peace upon you and may God be with you.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.